So I have seen the change in the younger generation. The younger generation in their eyes, you can see it. They can see a better future than their parents and grandparents had. And we have to help them achieve it. This is Conversations About Eastern Europe. My name is Emil Jule Nøtrup. Consistency is key and Slava Ukraini. Welcome to a conversation with Jane. And can you please um, pronounce your name in Ukrainian as well? Uh, it's Yevgenia, but uh, like all my friends call me Zhenya. That sounds a bit similar to Jane. So, yeah, you can call me Jane. Mm. Yeah, and uh, I'll just stick with Jane because um, that's also the most easy for uh, me. Um, and this is the second time that Jane and I will be uh, speaking because we also spoke in the beginning of May, like the first of May. So I guess some of the listeners will already know who you are. But um, should there be any new listeners since last time, which there is, then um, yeah. It would be great if you could just uh, introduce yourself again. Uh, just yeah, saying the same things as the, um, the last time or whatever you want to say. Sure. So uh, I'm co-founder and vice president of uh, Liberal Democratic League of Ukraine. It's an Ukrainian NGO. We don't have any other parties. And also I'm involved in international youth politics. And currently I'm serving as... Uh, Uh, council member of the International Federation of Liberal Youth, and uh, from the next year, I will start my mandate as a member of Advisory Council on Youth of the Council of Europe. Mm. So it's pretty safe to say that uh, you are very occupied with politics and, like, especially European politics, and um, therefore knows a lot about such stuff as well and share a lot of the same interests as I do and as I wrote to you in the structure I think it would be nice to just sort of um, catch up upon what we've been doing since we last spoke and I think I'll just go first because I have a, also like a political point about the debate about Ukraine and um, like everything that's going on which I've been thinking about Um And I think that when we spoke in May, in like the first of May, I was very, um, how can you say it? Um, I was a bit uh, dissatisfied with how like the Western approach to this war has been. Um, and I was also a bit dissatisfied about a lot of the decisions and the, the way I back then uh, thought of how other people think about the war. Um, but I've just realized now, uh, since then, that it's easy, it's easy for you and me to um, convince each other about why Ukraine is the absolute most important like agenda, if you can call it like that, and why this is something that, because of how much it means for millions of Ukrainians, um, and also how much we think we can actually pretty easy, uh, not easy, but how much there is to do more than we're doing right now and how much it will also affect globally. Like it's, I think we can convince each other about th that those are very true things, but for other people, it, it may be, um, how can you say it? They probably think other agendas are as important or they think that um, the Ukraine agenda 
doesn't carry the same weight that we do. Um, so it's just uh, about accepting that that's how, also how it is when you're debating about this stuff. And I think that, um, I don't know if you've seen this, but since we last spoke, I think I've become on Instagram way more active about the Ukrainian cause as well and about just uh, what I'm doing also to promote this conversation series. And I think I do it in a way that is um, like on the surface. I try to take an approach where I also have fun along the way. Um, but I also think that's a way to do it for me to get other people that might not otherwise be as interested in it, like to um, put them to dwell more into this as well. And I think that um, I just think people should be open um, to doing like alternative stuff as well. Because in, in the end, I think that's um, that's the way that you capture the most uh, people about this. So yeah, that's sort of what I've been thinking. Um, and that's more on a, how do you get others also to interact and how do you get others also to participate in this struggle? Like it's more on, a, on those lines. Um, so yeah, that was a bit about what I've been uh, doing uh, since we last spoke and what I've sort of um, yeah, realized. I don't know if you can say it like that, but yeah, sort of some considerations. So yeah, and I, I just need to acknowledge that uh, all your efforts to promote Ukrainian agenda are very, very appreciated and thank you for doing your job. And uh, also, as you have just said, it's very important at least to find something that you can have fun about within this topic because it's very hard to be always pessimistic and unfortunately... Um, there are some events that were not very uh, happy and promising for Ukrainians. Um, just as one example is a NATO summit in Vilnius, where uh, our president was pointed that uh, Ukrainians are not grateful enough. And <laughs> like, um, I understand to some extent uh what this remark uh was uh, uh aimed at but at the same time like when you're fighting for existence of your country and uh, your nation it's very hard to have this reminder in your google calendar so please uh, uh send uh, some uh, grateful message to the united kingdom to denmark to finland to uh, lithuania or etc so yeah but uh, again like with uh, every such global events, we uh, become uh, more uh, skeptical um, as you like as uh, believers in ideas of uh, um, global organizations and uh, its aims. Uh, I believe later we will talk about uh, the United Nations and especially Russia's efforts to get back to the uh, uh, UN Human Rights uh, Council and uh, how. Um, how ironical it is and how hypocritical it is. Uh, but at the same time, like, uh, I was lucky to uh, be uh, in uh, Colombia and also in Taiwan uh, within past months. And I see that uh, Ukraine is more recognized in such countries and uh, where we were kind of muted as Ukrainians. Uh, now people start uh, started drawing some parallels to their histories uh, and uh, their experiences. So yeah, for instance, uh, 
Latin American countries, they are facing uh, increasing presence of uh, Russian, uh, not only uh, tourists, but also military forces. It is the case of Venezuela, it is the case of uh, Colombia, um, and uh, uh, they also haven't figured out what potential consequences are, and of course they try to refer to some uh, experience that Ukrainians have had, and uh, of course like we can't uh, uh, make this experience equal, but still uh, at least people start being more interested in this topic, uh, even in regions uh, that, uh, for instance, uh, for Ukrainian diplomacy, uh, uh, were not reachable. And um, also, uh, like, as uh, I'm a um, news analyst uh, of uh, uh, domestic and foreign affairs of India, it was very interesting to follow how um, G20 presidency of India has ended up and uh, unfortunately, uh, communicators that uh, was uh, uh, a culmination of uh, its presidency. It wasn't very satisfying for Ukrainians, but at the same time, it wasn't complete uh, victory of uh, uh, Russian diplomacy. So yeah, like um, summer was interesting. I believe autumn will be even more eventful and fruitful. But um, yeah. A lot of things are ahead, and uh, um, also uh, counteroffense of Ukraine uh, has showed some, um, like, again, like from my perspective, tremendous uh, developments. But uh, for some of our um, uh, foreign partners, it wasn't enough. And for instance, uh, uh, Ukrainian military forces needed to blow up headquarters of. Uh, 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 Russian Navy in Sevastopol for us to uh, get uh, a new set of uh, rockets. So I still feel that uh, such kinds of uh, trades of uh, uh, developments on battlefields and also new weapons isn't very fair because we are losing our people. But um, yeah, like honestly, uh, counteroffense won't speed up during uh, autumn and winter months. So we will need uh, to calculate our efforts and we need uh, we will need to see how strong um, support of our foreign partners will be. Yeah, and you're saying a lot of very important stuff there. Um, and I just want to, um, yeah, to go a bit back to what I, what I was also saying about how to get other people to um, care about this stuff and to um, enact with it. Because I I still t- totally agree with you that Ukraine is not getting the support that it should get. It's not as high as on, on the agenda as it should be. And there are a lot of stuff we could do that we are not doing, which would help Ukraine a lot and which could have already helped Ukraine a lot. I was just listening to a podcast, Ukraine, the latest, where one of the, I think it was a military analytic or a journalist that had been in Ukraine was talking about how much more Ukraine could have done uh, post-capturing Kherson last fall in, I, I guess, November or October, um, like the city Kherson. Yeah, how much more they could have done if they have had more uh, equipment from the West, um, which they then uh, couldn't do. And... I'm not the military analytic, so I cannot go into specific details, but I just think there are so many cases like that. 
where Ukraine could have done a lot more, where we could have helped them a lot more. Um, and I think my point is just that I've now sort of come to uh, like a realization that it doesn't help to, um, like how can you say it, like to call people out for not being interested or for not um, taking part in it. What helps is to keep doing whatever you can yourself and to do it in a way that is also um, a way in which you don't um, do it in a way so people don't know you. Um, so it's like, yeah, that's, I think that's just for me um, important to say all the things you're saying, but in a way where you connect with the, yeah, with the audience. Um, and, and that is a very difficult discipline, I think, for someone, um, for anyone who wants to be politically active about this because I think for a lot of people uh, it's, it's we all, we're already getting out of a tangent now um, but like for a lot of people I think this is something that they perceive as, as something that they will just let the leaders of their countries do uh, and therefore they do not have a saying in it sort of um, but, but I think actually people has a lot to say about such stuff and I actually really do think that leaders of nations are very carefully also assessing how their populations view the support that they are granting to Ukraine and and there is just so much more uh, things to be done to that regard so so I think that's um, yeah something that I've been thinking about and also when when you're saying all these things uh, here again that also re uh, yeah affirms just my thought of how much we can actually do um so before we go to uh, talk a bit about the latest news um can can you maybe talk a bit more about how much it is actually possible for us to do that we are not doing right now because i think maybe some people think oh it's a war it's very big and um it's very difficult to do anything to like um point the development in a certain direction but to me it's more a case of there, it is actually not that difficult, so to say, for us to do more um, because the solutions are pretty clear to me. Um, but can you talk a bit about that, uh, like what it would help Ukraine if we gave them more weapons, if we supported them more ideologically and so on? Uh, so, uh, just if I may add to uh, one point uh, in your speech regarding what's... Uh, uh, could Ukrainian military forces have been done, and also what uh, could have been pre uh, have been prevented? I believe that if Ukraine uh, got um, enough weapons, uh, there will be less chance for Novokhovka dump to be uh, blown up. Uh, but again, like right now, it's only speculation. We don't know when exactly it was mined and um, when, uh, like, this scenario of uh, blowing up uh, such huge uh, uh, construction uh, was made. Uh, but still, I believe, like, with faster counteroffense um, and with faster retaking of uh, uh, the whole uh, Kherson region. Probably this uh, catastrophe could have been uh, avoided, but yeah, as of now, like we just need to uh, deal with consequences, and that's partially can answer uh, your question, like how to help it. 
So um, for me, it's quite uh, a unique war because it can unite uh, people of different ideologies. For instance, if you uh, follower of uh, Green Party again just takes this topic of ecocide and uh, uh, consequences uh, for um, uh, global climate changes um, that uh, this uh, war is provoking. Uh, if you are more liberal, uh, think about uh, um, human rights uh, violations. Uh, again, uh, economic perspective of uh, sanctions and responsibility of uh, some producers that are like technically they have joined sanctions, but still uh, microchips uh, um, from the year products uh, appear in some of uh, Russian drones or um, other uh, Russian weapons. So, yeah, like, um, for me, it depends on level of uh, your commitments. So if you want actively uh, being engaged, so, again, it's better to find some organization in Ukraine that you want uh, to uh, stay updated uh, with. Again, like, if you are okay with support uh, military uh, organizations, there are plenty of... Uh, uh, charity uh, organizations, uh, um, smaller, bigger, uh, whatever, you can just uh, pick up uh, it and um, just uh, start supporting. If uh, uh, you don't want to uh, send weapons, but uh, you want to help uh, uh, internally displaced people, there are plenty of uh, funds that provide with humanitarian aid. And again, um, in the uh, uh, region, the Huge, um, um, huge um, storage of humanitarian aid was uh, uh, destroyed because of uh, Russian rockets, like just recently, like uh, last week. So, again, it depends on level of your commitments. Uh, if uh, you just want to like low key engagements, again, just help promoting some of uh, Ukrainian content. And uh, um, if uh, there are still people who have accounts in uh, uh, Twitter uh, and uh, haven't moved to Blue Sky yet, again, just follow some of credible sources and at least interact with these posts. Um, there are quite uh, many languages uh, content is, is available in. Um, English, German, Spanish, even in Arabic. Again, just just at least share and like do this passive uh, social media work. Um, if you're brave enough, just come to some of uh, Ukrainian cities and uh, um, make this small uh, donation to a domestic Ukrainian economy. Um, again, like I, I believe that no matter uh, how you want to be engaged in. Uh, promotion of Ukrainian agenda or supporting Ukrainian people, you can just do it and um, again, you just need to uh, pick up one topic, one aspect and be fair like how much engaged you want uh, to be. Because if now you think that you can help with logistic of some uh, drone delivery or etc., and if you get in contact with organization and promise to help and then realize that, no, unfortunately, like I, I don't have uh, bantuis or I don't have capacity. 
it's better to be very fair of how much time and how many resources you can spend and invest. It's better to make little steps, but systematically, constantly. So, yeah. But again, like, if you're a politician, please uh, be very vocal about uh, uh, Ukraine. Uh, if uh, you see that uh, a topic of uh, uh, ref- Ukrainian refugees or a topic of Ukraine in general is uh, starting withdrawing from um, national debates, please try to bring it in uh, because uh, the war is uh, going on and... Uh, Right now, it seems that this uh, war is just to um, uh, to see who have more resources, both human and uh, uh, weaponry, and uh, who can last longer. As of now, it's very hard to calculate, but um, like the long, even frozen conflict won't be beneficial for. Uh, the European Union and for the world uh, in general. Like, the only countries that can... Okay, maybe two countries that can benefit uh, from this uh, frozen state is Russia and China. So, yeah. Mm. And I really like that you talk so much about what one can do as an individual also to um, be more engaged in the struggle. And not just are you talking about what to do, You also um, mentioned something important, which is that no matter what your political uh, alignment is, there always should be an angle which can help you see why this is so important. And I was talking to someone from the like the green left in Denmark. Um, can you still hear me? Ah, oh, perfect. Um, I was talking to someone who is from, um, like, not the most left party, but, the, like, the second or third most to the left in Denmark. Um, and I to- uh, told him this thing about, in a climate perspective, it is actually also very important what is happening in Ukraine because you, as you mentioned, like, the blow-up of the dam, and I also think what uh, Russia is threatening uh, to do and has done a lot about, um, yeah, creating a possible nuclear disaster and yeah, just the general fact that there is a war going on. All these things are extremely bad for the climate and if they are allowed to happen, that will also send a signal to China that they can also do such stuff. And if such stuff are like <laughs> accepted in general, that will just create a world situation in which there won't be room for actually uh, creating a globe um, that uh, where the, like, the level of... Um, CO2 and uh, stuff uh, can be kept low because then there just wouldn't be the political um, climate in which that is uh, doable. That that is a, a, that was um, what I said and he actually pretty much agreed upon that and, and I think that is just um, a way of explaining why something like climate, for example, also very much plays into this war because of the consequences it will have on the global um possibility to fight climate changes and to fight all these natural disasters that are happening because um, that will just not be doable. That is my um, assessment, at least. If Russia in just uh, like as minor degree succeeds in what they're doing, um, 
but but yeah so so i think that it's it's just to reiterate what you were saying about why this is so important no matter what your political alignment are um and i we could go on and on about this but now i think we need to get to the point i listed which is like the first things first um but now we're to a bit of a talk before that but first things first is like us talking about what is happening right now in the world just to um like to 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 get that out there and i will just quickly mention what i've been uh like um gathering uh as of lately like the latest week or so and I think my sense right now is that Ukraine is actually starting to be more successful in their offensive against the uh, the Russian defense. They are starting to break through the defensive lines more places. They are putting way more pressure on Crimea um, than they have done before. And they are also adv- advancing in, I think, different directions, maybe, or maybe just one, uh, but still... Uh, around Bakhmut, which was like the Russian prize um, of their so-called offensive um, before the Ukrainian offensive began. And and to me, that is just very good news that Ukraine is starting to advance more than they have done before. And um, yeah, if you can just uh, uh, maybe, if you have uh, any details that you want to get into, um, or just uh, yeah, also your own thoughts about like the latest news. Uh, yeah, like almost all that you uh, have just mentioned, it's uh, true. Yes, we are progressing. It's uh, a bit faster than it was before. Uh, there are some of uh, villages that are uh, retaken by Ukrainian forces uh, uh, in the Netsk region, and uh, also yeah, like uh, Bakhmut. Uh, um, situation is looking very promising. Uh, also, the Parisia direction um, is uh, uh, getting more and more controlled by uh, Ukrainian army. Uh, also, regarding attacks, uh, not only Crimea is uh, uh, on our radar, but also some of uh, uh, oil and gas uh, um, stations in Russia are uh, attacked by uh, Ukrainian drones. So again, like it's very important for us to cut as many uh, these logistical um, lines um, uh, that are um, very close to border of uh, Ukraine, but like from Russian side. Um, again, I just want to make it very clear and outline uh, that uh, uh, Ukrainian army isn't attacking. Um, just uh, uh, residential houses or etc. If you check news, you will see that it's uh, uh, either gas stations or um, uh, headquarters of uh, uh, some of divisions of Russian army. So yeah, like we want to target um, really harmful objects for uh, Ukraine, but not just random uh, buildings uh, as uh, Russia um, is uh, doing um, regarding Ukrainian infrastructure. So, uh, yeah, and so also what I uh, wanted to mention that, unfortunately, unfortunately, right now, Wagner Group uh, is called again to uh, frontiers uh, in Ukraine. And uh, from there, like camps and bases in Belarus, they are now being sent back to Donetsk and uh, Lugansk regions. Some of them are 
as instructors, some of them are as soldiers. Um, like there is no one uh, unit as it was before, um, like Wagner Group, but now they are rather dispersed between different uh, divisions and uh, um, uh, military units. So, um, again, unfortunately, it doesn't look very promising because uh, we know that uh, uh, members of Wagner Group are very reckless people and uh, they literally don't have anything to lose. So that's why they go just full in and they're really invested uh, in this war. Um, but I still believe that... Uh, um, um, like, uh, inner inner mood of uh, Russian army is very low, and uh, they uh, like even with great instructors from Wagner Group, they won't uh, be able to uh, cheer them enough. So this uh, um, um, offense from Russian sides uh, will be very successful. But again, unfortunately, there is still mobilization going on um, in Russia. And uh, even people who are in um, who are captured by Ukrainian army, when they talk to their families, they promise just to go back to Russia. And in case they will be drawn back to army, they will agree to come back and uh, keep fighting. Uh, there are a lot of uh, uh, like uh, YouTube okay, not a lot of, but there are a few uh, YouTube channels uh, that uh, uh, show these interviews with uh, um, captured soldier, captured Russian soldiers and their families. And unfortunately, there is no sign of uh, um, uh, realization. Yes, regrets and realizations that uh, either it could have been avoided or they could have lived in a different way. So it's very illogical, but uh, yeah, right now it seems that uh, uh, Ukrainian army needs more human resources and Russian army uh, hasn't stopped recruiting new people. Mm. Yeah, and I think the last thing you're saying is actually pretty um, disturbing uh, because that disturbing, disturbing, but like it says a lot about the Russian army that even soldiers that had been that have been captured by Ukraine are still thinking, um, to a certain degree at least, along the same lines as they were before they were captured and, and before they participated in, in the war. Um, because that says something about what is going on in the minds of Russian soldiers as well. Um, with that said, and even though um, that is happening, I would also um, just to conclude on my um, yeah, what my take is to say it like that. Um, my take is still that, as it has always been, that Russia can never be successful in this endeavor, and that Ukraine will win in the end. And I'm one hundred percent sure about that. And that's because of um, yeah, the people that are participating in this war and even though um, Russian soldiers, um, some Russian soldiers uh, that you were alluding to are saying these things, I just still think that in the end it, it cannot um, cannot last to, to sustain a war that doesn't make any sense to any degree 
uh, on behalf of the Russians um, when because they are trying to um, take control of over a territory with force in which people that don't want them there are living and they also do that out of a starting point in which Russians lived fine uh, I guess you can say without controlling Ukraine without having Ukraine like and it's worse for Russia now and I think under the skin of Russians they know that is true um, but But it's just a matter of um, like cutting through that skin, basically. I guess you can say, and um, open the wound and um, make them completely realize that um, that it doesn't make any sense what they're doing, and that it is all for a, yeah, like a sick dictator uh, that is power hungry uh, or like a, a delusional um, in a historic way or something like that. Um, so, so I just think to fight for that still doesn't carry the sense. Um, and then when you compare that to what the Ukrainians are fighting for, uh, the situation is just so opposite. So, so I think that comparison of um, like actors uh, fighting against each other, um, it just still uh, makes me believe that Ukraine will one hundred percent win this war. Um, and that's just comparing the peoples of the two forces fighting, but you can also uh, put in there like who is supporting the different um, actors and so on, and and there's just so many things um, that makes me believe that Ukraine is going to win this war, and and I think that will never change. But I think with all this said though. We also agree upon that there are some big, big issues in the um, international system, I guess you can say, that really needs to be sorted, first and foremost for Ukraine, and then um, after that for every uh, other nation or person in the world that um, cares about and supports freedom and human rights. And there has just been a, like a Ramstein meeting or a, UDCG group uh, meeting over the last maybe it's it has just been uh, like and maybe they're still like talking about it now and there has also been some important discussions in the UN and I want to kind of combine those two discussions because I think they sort of um, talk to the same points but can you just start by talking a bit about what your analysis is of this whole thing about Russia trying to get back in favor with um, in the UN and the, the way that they are trying to um, yeah, navigate in this whole UN system that is yeah, that has some big flaws. Mm -hmm. Sure, and uh, like if I can start with uh, our new uh, Minister of uh, Defense, Rustem Umerov. I believe it's a great uh, step for uh, Ukrainian uh, authorities that uh, uh, it is like a first Crimean Tatar and also um, representative of uh, Islam uh, who is uh, uh, taking such a, a high position. Um, again, like uh, it is partially... Um, um, 
destruction of uh, this narrative that Russia is trying to spread that uh, all Ukrainians are neo-Nazis. No, like you, you can see it even uh, from our establishment. And uh, yeah, like of course, like if you uh, look in uh, news, uh, Ukrainian side is commenting that uh, Rammstein was quite successful and uh, international support was reiterated. Uh, but uh, like again, like I really like very structural approach, and so for me, like uh, very promising, um, uh, like this uh, cluster cluster approach uh, looks uh, that, uh, for instance, five priority clusters uh, were identified uh, how to help Ukraine, and it's air defense, artillery, aviation, navy, and armored vehicles, uh, because uh, yeah, unfortunately. Um, even uh, 52 F-16s from the Netherlands and uh, I don't remember how, like around 40 from uh, Denmark. Uh, Nine, 19, I promise. And six oh, okay. will be delivered in uh, the start of 2024, I think. So, yeah, but the, still uh, we would like to work up uh, more resources. So, uh, but at least like this uh, understanding of uh, different groups that can be separated between different uh, uh, countries, it's uh, quite a uh, good um, sign for me. Um, and uh, um, like even the motivation to help Ukraine after almost 19 months of uh, the fight is uh, really promising. But uh, I believe that uh, Ukraine will be very, um, very quiet on uh, um, revealing. Uh, how much of uh, support uh, was uh, promised uh, during the Rammstein meeting because um, uh, we see that unfortunately not all journalists are uh, uh, taking the side of Ukraine and we don't want uh, this information very sensitive to end up. Can I, can I ask Russia. one thing here? Um, because do you uh, agree with me that Earlier Ramstein meetings uh, have seemed to produce more uh, results than maybe this one did. Or do you think uh, that's a wrong um, assessment of me? Mm-hmm. Honestly, it's very hard to um, um, like uh, to compare because. Again, like we need to take into consideration uh, production um, capacity of countries. Um, if previous uh, Rammstein group meetings uh, could utilize some, I, I'm very sorry, like it's not very um, uh, accurate term, but like leftovers of um, artillery or vehicles. Right now, we are in the situation that new weaponry should be produced and again like it takes time and like from one side i can understand countries that can't promise more than they can produce or is that they can calculate uh in advance so again uh our minister of defense uh, was changed probably like even uh, Mr. Umerov was part of uh, um, this uh, uh, group uh, um, that represented Ukraine. Uh, but still, in his new capacity, maybe he needs to win some 
I don't know, trust of uh, foreign partners. Again, like, uh, unfortunately, I'm not a part of uh, that group that uh, participates uh, in uh, uh, Rammstein meetings, so I can't tell, like, what is going on uh, on informal level. But again, right now, I, I just see a problem of calculating of resources, uh, um, maybe some forecasts regarding production, and also, we don't need to forget that uh, next year we have uh, uh, EU elections and also we have a lot of local elections like uh, Poland's, uh, also U US elections. Sometimes like w when I hear rhetorics of some of Republican uh, candidates, it really uh, makes me chill because, uh, chilled because honestly... Like, what I have heard from my contacts from Young Democrats of America, they say that the war in Ukraine has uh, united people from both sides. Let's say so, that, like, Democrats and Republicans are very united uh, on their stance uh, regarding the war in Ukraine. Right now, it seems that some uh, political candidates decided to disperse people again and uh, to make this uh, division again like in very good uh, Trump's tradition, let's say so. So, yeah, I believe that, unfortunately, Rammstein meetings will be part of this electional agenda uh, for maybe next year, for sure. But, again, we need to see. Yeah, okay. And um, so, so you're saying that... Okay, because what I think... Uh, what my take is is that these Ramstein meetings seem to be more impactful and more effectful and more um, agenda capturing and agenda setting. So that um, when there were these Ramstein meetings, it was really something that were in the news and um, something where you couldn't avoid to hear the yeah, the defense secretary uh, Lloyd Austin from United States, for example talking about which new weapons or weapon system that would now be sent to Ukraine. And also Wallace from um, the, the former um, defense minister of Great Britain, like he was, he was also, as I remember it, um, always talking about some new weapons or, and stuff like that. Whereas this time maybe it wasn't um, as impactful, but what you're suggesting is that there could have been done deals informally, like on the under the table in, in quotation marks where so Ukraine could have been promised stuff that we just don't know about yet. Um, so that's important to keep in mind as well. But but the problem is, uh, as you're saying, that maybe it can become a part of Western politics because of all the elections that will be in um, yeah 2024. Uh, so I, I guess, um, yeah, I think maybe, can you just uh, also talk about the UN thing uh with russia trying to like navigate itself back into the security council and like all, all these things that russia are doing right now behind the scenes in the un and stuff like that like for me it seems that russia is losing its positions in the un uh, dramatically and uh yeah like of course they will be very loud about Please don't give a floor to Zelensky. Like uh, he, he's a president of one country. Like why can't we invite other presidents to speak? Uh, um, and I, I really appreciate the answer from uh, Albanian representative. So just stop the words. <laughs> Mr. Zelensky won't deliver his speeches here. 
So um, the reform of uh, uh, both uh, Security Council and uh, Human Rights Council, uh, this topic was discussed, I believe, for almost a year or even uh, earlier. These discussions uh, have started. And uh, right now, several countries are trying to get their uh, permanent seats in the um, in uh, these councils, like uh, again, like India, Japan, uh, Germany, um, and Russia can just jump in this train of like let's reform uh, councils together. But uh, I don't believe that the year uh, the year points year contribution will be very um, uh, well taken into consideration because. Uh, it seems that uh, all members of uh, both of councils uh, they just pursue their own interests. Yeah, of course. Like I, I'm really grateful that uh, investigation of uh, uh, human rights violations in Ukraine is still going on, and there are reports that are uh, being published. And uh, of course, there are evidences that uh, Russia is committing a lot of uh, uh, crimes here but still all these uh, uh, crimes are not classified as genocides um again I, I, unfortunately i guess that um, in upcoming years it will be classified as genocide but again like russia is seeing that uh, investigation hasn't stopped there are more and more evidences and so uh, i believe uh, uh, trial in the hug um, uh, will be scheduled uh, for uh, Russia. So maybe it's just like the last attempt to bring attention uh, to uh, their uh, thoughts and their views. But um, again, like I, I, I don't think that uh, they will be very influential on reforms of uh, the UN. We will see changes, but I don't believe that these changes uh, will um, um, will impact Russian seat. I believe they will remain more or less the same. And uh, again, like there is global south, and they are not one hundred percent aligned with Russia, but they can support this uh, uh, narrative that. Uh, um, UN or other international uh, arenas shouldn't be used uh, to serve interests of just one country, as Russia is trying to persuade uh, other uh, UN members. But yeah, like I, I just feel it's uh, like last cream of a drawing person. Mm. And um, I was thinking about one of the things Russia has said as well when they are, uh, because they have said that. <coughs> They don't think that um, the UN institutions should be used to push the agenda of a group of countries as well. Um, they've, they've said that a couple of times, which is um, like uh, suggesting that UN shouldn't be uh, used to um, push the agenda of the countries that are, for example, in the UDC. G group, the Ukrainian Defense Contact Group, which is the group um, that the uh, that that are scattered uh, gathered at the Ramstein meetings, um, so it could be that group of countries. It could be the West as a 
like a concept, those countries and stuff like that. And I think to a certain degree what the Russians are unfortunately very effectively doing here is that they are latching themselves on to a pretty popular narrative um, in 2023, which is this narrative about FN, like the UN. Sometimes I call it FN. That's because that's uh, how you say it in uh, in Danish. Uh, so sorry for that. But yeah, the UN, uh, of course, um, that they that it is a pretty popular narrative, so to say, um, that. FN shouldn't promote Western ideas. FN shouldn't. Uh, the UN shouldn't promote um, like the ideas of uh, the countries that is in the same security alliance as the United States and so on. And and I think that they are to a certain degree like exploiting the UN here actually as an arena to spread disinformation and to yeah latch themselves onto uh, a narrative that enjoy support in the so-called global south uh, which is also an expression that I, I actually like it's hard to um, go around it because it is so popular now but I don't like it too much uh, because there is a lot of difference between the countries in the yeah the global south um, but can you just talk a bit about about what you were also um, alluding to in the beginning about um, this um, development um among people who care about freedom and human rights uh, with regards to um, like that it becomes more and more difficult to believe in all these uh, international institutions and all these um, yeah uh, yeah these concepts of um, of of thinking not concepts of thinking maybe but if you you can also see the UN as a like a concept that enshrines values um, such as like democracy, the right to self-determination and so on. But how, what, what do you mean when you say that um, maybe the, the belief in, in such institutions um, it has been shaken? Um, so again, like uh, I, I remember last time when we, uh, we were recording podcasts, I was very critical about UN like in general, but now for me, uh, I can identify like uh, two sides of UN. One is like as political uh, organization. So yeah, like politically, unfortunately, we don't feel impacts of all of these resolutions. Like they serve as guidelines and it's really maybe their like final goal. But if just one side of the world doesn't want to follow these guidelines, it's like it makes the total value of this uh, uh, resolution just uh, worthless. But on the other hand, we have like more social impacts and humanitarian impacts uh, of the UN. And I know that there are lots of uh, um, initiatives uh, that were uh, implemented with the help of uh, the UN and still there are programs that uh, are operating in Ukraine so Ukrainians can get at least workplaces in uh, such uh, uh, initiatives and uh, in, like for me as representative of youth it's important to talk about work and uh, uh, how to get uh, uh, your uh, household bills paid. So if UN uh, can provide uh, some workplaces, it's also 
it's also a help in some uh, in some way. Uh, so regarding uh, skepticism, um, unfortunately, um, people don't have a lot of time to think about uh, uh, long-term perspectives of these uh, resolutions and uh, how reform, again, like if we go back to reform of uh, UN Security Council, will impact the uh, future of Ukraine, uh, because we just want quick quick assistance right here, right now, full support. So, yeah, just to uh, um, expect this uh, um, un unbiased and uh, un um, um, how to say, like, just 100% uh, uh, belief in uh, the power of UN from Ukrainians. Unfortunately, it's not very realistic. Um, what I also want to add, not only about UN, but about uh, such organizations as uh, International uh, Red Cross, um, there was news about uh, Olenivka and about behavior of representatives of uh, International uh, Red Cross uh, with uh, Ukrainian uh, captivities. And unfortunately, like, like uh, long story short, it was said that uh, uh, when representatives of Red Cross came to Olenivka, it's like a base uh, where uh, Ukrainian uh, soldiers were kept, they didn't try to help Ukrainian soldiers, but they were more supportive of approach that uh, uh, Russian militaries uh, demonstrated towards Ukrainian soldiers. So it wasn't respectful, it was more like mocking and making uh, fun of soldiers. Representants and, uh, from the International Red Cross did this? Wow. Yes. Yes. You... Again, like, when you see uh, such news, you don't want to uh, uh, send your donations to Red Cross, but it's better to uh, support some local organizations. So, um, what else? Like again, like uh, World's uh, Kitchen, uh, like the head of this organization, uh, joins uh, um, United Twenty Four uh, initiative. That is, like, uh, if you know uh, this ambassadors, um, like Timothy Snyder, the uh, frontman of Imagine Dragons. So yeah, like they're uh, like the heads of uh, this uh, World's Kitchen. Uh, he also joined it, and <coughs> um, again, like. Um, if we take uh, example of uh, the uh, blow up of uh, Novakovka uh, Dam, um, this organization was present on the ground. They really helped people, not trying to, uh, I don't know, like bring avocados or something exotic just because it's expensive and they can justify their expenses. No, they were here, they used local products and they helped people. Um, at least with these basic uh, needs as uh, food and uh, um, something and uh, uh, drinking water. So, yeah, we have, uh, um, for instance, UNESCO uh, that included a historical center of Odessa and Kiev in their list of uh, um, objects in um, like uh, very risk or like high risk like endangered uh, historical objects. 
it is also a step. It is also a sign of support. But again, like as a regular Ukrainian, as an ordinary person, how can I feel this impact right here and right now? So, yeah, unfortunately, it's very hard to uh, predict your life for the whole week because you don't know whether uh, next night your house won't be uh, attacked by rockets. So that's why all these international uh, organizations that operate rather uh, with uh, projects for long-term perspectives, they don't um, give this, how to say, um, guarantees of stable present because Ukrainians don't think about future right now no, in a very long term perspective. I was just thinking about something uh, as you were approaching yeah, at the end of the speech um, but it is this thing about international organizations and I would also say to a certain degree uh, some NGOs that are uh, established by um, governments and um you're uh, legislating um, assemblies in the democratic world because what I think um, is the mistake right now in the approach is that a lot of these international organizations and a lot of these institutes promoting freedom, democracy, and so on, they are working based upon a method in which the world is stable and in which the world in uh, in general um, should be thinking along the same lines as they do. Um, and that's a problem when the world doesn't really act accordingly. So you have Russia that wants to take control of Ukraine and uh, basically, um, yeah, all the territory that they lost, uh, so to say, in their words, as a, when the USSR um, broke up, like, they want to take back all that territory if they were allowed to. And I think China, they definitely want to take um, control of at least Taiwan. And if it were up to them, they would also very much um, pose uh, a lot more in influence over um, the rest of the countries in the yeah, um, in the area around the South Chinese Sea. Um, and, and when you have such actors like that, behaving in such a way it just to me sometimes seem, seems as if that we should rethink a lot of the organizations institutions and projects that we have initiated because a lot of them were initiated based upon a way of thinking in which there wasn't an aggressive China and an aggressive Russia and so on and um, and therefore they tend to maybe try to solve problems in a way that d doesn't respond to the world as it is. Um, so that's just sort of a, a, th a thinking about that. And it's not that I don't think it's good to have such organizations and initiatives, but but I just think they need to realize a lot of things. Um, and also what you're saying, it just speaks so much to um, some of the thoughts I've had as well, that like, what is an FN resolution um, good for? If it's just a resolution, what is um, some of these projects about 
um, helping Ukraine long term good for if they cannot help Ukraine short term and therefore will never be able to help them in long term and so on. But but um, Jane, do you still think that the UN, for example, do you still do you think it actually works, or do you think that we need something like radically different, or um, do you think that more? I don't know, like. Maybe just first answer uh, the part about the UN, and then I have uh, like a follow-up question afterwards about the UDCG group as well. But do you still think the UN works? Right now, with all this growing rhetoric about uh, West and Global South, I still believe that we need to have at least one institution that can bring all these countries together and try to mediate conversations between these countries. And again, like as you have mentioned, examples of China and Russia, to start inventing new, like completely new international body in the middle of this uh, one looming crisis and one ongoing war, I don't think it's very reasonable. Yeah, like let's try to fix what is um, what we have right now. Uh, what is going on right now uh, and uh, later maybe in more like peaceful times we can uh, think about uh, something new like as it was like League of Nations then UN and then maybe uh, something more but usually these organizations uh, are created after the <laughs> world wars but not in the middle of uh, uh, such historical times so like um, does UN utilize its full potential? Probably no. But shall we reinvent UN, but just uh, under a different name with uh, uh, headquarter in different region and uh, with uh, um, countries uh, uh, co-founders uh, that differ from UN co-founders? I don't think that right now it's very reasonable. Yeah, all right. And I, I actually agree. I don't think that we should do something uh, like invent an, a new UN right now or um, or something like that because that wouldn't work. Um, but I just think that... All right, so overall, I think that UN does work in favor of Ukraine because I still think it has been an arena uh, in which Russia has been... Um, yeah, uh, like thrown out of um, certain positions that they had, and it has been a, a forum where, like, countries around the world uh, have voted um, strongly condemning Russia. So, so to that sense, it has been uh, yeah an international uh, world meet place in which um, the narrative has been very much against Russia and and has has. Heard, uh, heard it uh, like the image of Russia a lot. So, so in that sense, it has helped a lot. I just think that the big problem is that if in, like, or the UN, uh, sometimes the UN becomes something that countries and leaders put in front of what they could have done, but then instead it becomes so that then they say, but we passed this FN, like this UN resolution, or. Um, we decided upon this in the UN Council for Human Rights or we uh, decided this and this and this and started uh, that initiative and um, 
then we are actually also doing some other things so that you say or that you are doing all these things in the UN, which then makes it easier for you as a political leader uh, or as a foreign minister um, not to do other stuff because you can put the UN uh, a bit in front of you. And, and it's, it, it's, it's just, I think that's an effect of having a, an institution like the UN um, as well, that, that this can happen. Um, so, so to me, that's an important uh, critique. Like, how, what do you think about that? Uh, because you also um, you made some um, expressions, so I, I would like to hear it. Um, again, still, I believe that uh, UN programs and projects, to some extent, they are effective. But again, for me, it's the same approach as like you asked about uh, personal commitment to Ukrainian agenda and like uh, UN country member commitments. You just need to realize what uh, kinds of support you can provide and what are results you want to get and be very critical towards these projects. Because, again, um, as one of example, I attended uh, a seminar for communicators uh, and it was held in Warsaw, so... That's why, again, like the topic of uh, uh, the war was uh, picked up. And as example of successful uh, projects, um, the project Call to Russia was mentioned. And what is the uh, like idea behind this project? Is that uh, there are a randomizer of uh, phone numbers and foreigners like uh, you or your friends can pick up uh, one number and call to a random person in Russia and start talking about the war in Ukraine and start persuading this uh, person that uh, please don't support uh, Russian aggression and etc. And like this project got a lot of financial support and um, people behind this project thought that it is successful because they had data that uh, like almost 130,000 of calls uh, uh, were made. But do we see that uh, uh, there are less soldiers in Russian army or their families uh, started uh, telling them that please don't uh, uh, join Russian army? No, but these resources were spent and now some like uh, liberal European think tanks are promoting this project as successful. So for me, like it's a like very default requirement to but be that's ex- very that's critical That's exactly about, what I'm talking about. Uh, that is they... exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, maybe... Uh, like I know that it it is one of uh, priorities of the uh, UN uh, like peace building uh, um, uh, projects and uh, like this uh, dialogue uh, projects etc. So we need to be very critical and to realize that uh, it is not the best time even to spend your ideation or like brain capacity to think about these projects no um again some uh, improvements in maybe a school system like how to implement more um 
how to say, like remote studies or how to improve uh, Ukrainian uh, uh, education system. Yes, like this can be really done against some best practices for army, uh, tactical medicine and like these protocols of uh, helping soldiers. Yes, like this, please just uh, start thinking and start start implementing it right now. Um, like uh, projects that are aimed uh, to children and their developments. Uh, mental health topic, of course, it's very important. But some of topics that are really very aligned with UN priorities, but they are not aligned with uh, realities of Ukrainian and Russian societies, maybe these topics shouldn't just uh, be brought up. I so, think that the yeah. project that you are talking about, um, <laughs> maybe I, I think I've actually heard about it as well. And it is th this, but it is this sort of project where you initially, as an individual, is inclined to think, "All right, that's a good project," because I hate the war and I hate what Russia is doing. And uh, of course, if someone just told the Russians what they are doing is wrong, then they will realize it. But that is not uh, something that you can be uh, assured of just because someone is talking to a Russian like. Do we know even what was said in these calls? Do we know even who the persons were making these calls? Do we know which processes went into people being allowed to be the ones that would make these calls? There, there is, there's a lot of questions uh, when doing such a thing uh, that I think it's important to, um, yeah, to to be aware of and. And I also work actually uh, as someone who makes phone calls myself um, on Mondays, Fridays, like trying to um, do sales work. And I can also make 1,000 calls each day. That doesn't mean I had a successful day when my aim is not to make as many calls as possible, but to um, yeah, but yet but to do some sales for my employee. And and in the same way here, I think you can say that what is really the aim of doing all these calls, um, I guess it should be to change the Russian attitude towards the war. But do we know that they did that just because um, when 130,000 calls were made? Like, I, I'm not sure uh, if that helps towards any effect. But again, like for instance, uh, during your work, you have at least understanding of target audience. You don't call like uh, school students to sell your products and like within that project it was like completely random number and what's more important uh there was no requirement for people to speak russian and for instance just imagine that uh, there is a random lady from Yekaterinburg and uh, she receives call from uh unknown number and Suddenly, a uh, person starts talking in English, and also it was mandatory to say that, uh, like, hi, I'm like Hans from Germany, from Austria, from whatever, and keep this dialogue in English. Of course, like, if a person knows Russian, it would be better, but the majority of volunteers didn't know Russian. So, like, how impactful your dialogue will be if person will have this um prejudice 
that's uh, okay, maybe it's someone from evil Western countries try to persuade me or brainwash me. There are so many uh, ill thought aspects of this uh, project. So, like, just general recommendation for all projects regarding this war just think very well about who you want to do this project with, um, how fast you can uh, mobilize resources both in these countries and who, uh, like, what will be a team that will implement this project. And then, yeah, just uh, with very sorrowful analysis, start implementing it. Because if it's not worse, if you are not satisfied with at least one answer, uh, to these, uh, uh, to your questions, just don't do this project because it will be a waste of resources and okay, maybe it will be good for your ego, but it won't help to solve no, actual problems. I think, and to me, unfortunately, it is it's a very strong example of it, but to me, it is an example of how the UN is also um, used in a way that is on the face of it positive towards Ukraine and positive towards the change of attitude that the two of us wants to see in Russia, but really in reality it doesn't serve any of these purposes um, in any single way. And actually even such projects as you are describing this one is actually a thing that maybe will just end up being useful for Russian propaganda instead because then they can go out and say, oh, but the UN also made this uh, targeted effort to um, get U uh, Russians to change attitudes, and that was just people from the evil Nazi West calling us, blah, 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 and so on. Um, so, may so maybe it, it, it's it's not just a um, waste of uh, resources, but that's, of course, a very important point as well that you were talking about. Um, I think we are um, sort of like through... Um, most of the subjects that I wanted to um, talk about um, and I wrote to you but I wrote to you that I had this um, jingle which is called uh, like does the guest agree um, and I will not play the jingle um, but I'll still say like here comes the jingle Well, I, I just wanted to, you, you've made a brilliant closing statement. Absolutely. Excellent. And now the listener will have listened to it uh, when the listener listens to the conversation uh, because it wouldn't work to play it for you here online. Um, but what I've been thinking about as we have um, talked is that um, we've been talking a bit about the Ramstein meetings and the UDCG. Uh, which is the Ukrainian Defense Contact Group, which is a gathering of, I'm not sure of the exact number, but around 60 countries, uh, maybe more have um, like come, uh, like have become a part of the group. Maybe it's maybe it's 70, like, but it's it's in that area. But what it is to me, it's ah, oh, it's only 50. Okay, yeah, sorry to, like, I'm glad you're correcting me. I'm very glad you're correcting me. Maybe it, it was just something within me that um, kind of think my, more countries much have, must have come along since I last checked it. But nevertheless, it is 54 
very um, respected countries within the international system. It is 54 countries that have very strong economies. And most important of all, it is 54 countries that are all in alignment with the fact that Ukraine is something that needs to be supported. And I think that the UDCG, the Ukrainian Defense Contact Group, is a template for something that could be the way that you have to create alliances in the international system in order to um, keep promoting values such as um, freedom, human rights, um, the absence of subjugation, um, national self-determination, and so on. So, whereas the UN maybe doesn't serve that purpose in in the same way that it did immediately after the Second World War and also has done other times in the past, I think that um, groups such as the UDCG can serve as a template that we have to use moving forward on the other side of a Ukrainian victory. So I think that the UDCG should keep being a strong alliance even after Ukraine has won. Then it could maybe be the uh, Taiwanese uh, defense contact group. Um, it could be the Georgian um, defense contact group. It could be the Belarusian defense contact group. If they ever decide to elect a president that is um, that wants to... Um, yeah, create a democracy and become a part of the democratic European family and so on. So that's just something that I've really been, how can you say, like considering um, maybe as an alternative to the pretty, um, to a certain degree, bleak uh, outlook. You can have sometimes when just thinking about the, the sort of institution that the UN is. Um, so do you agree with me that such organize like such alliances and such gathering of nations can it can like be more effective in the future or do you think it's enough with nato and stuff like that uh yeah what, what's your take on this uh like theory or a thought that i'm having um so of course like i'm very uh, glad that uh, such a uh, contact group uh, exists and it's really uh, helpful and uh, really um game changer for uh, like uh, ukraine but at the same time i believe that the glue that uh, keeps all these countries together is just because we have just one very concrete goal and one very concrete uh, enemy let's say so and if you want to engage more countries you need to think about more contexts and more sensitive topics etc etc so it becomes wider and less concrete that's why like extra bureaucracy comes in and uh, extra like your negotiations are uh, prolonged because you need like to hear like more uh, viewpoints, etc. So, I believe that uh, if we will have more extreme cases uh, as uh, uh, the full-scale invasion uh, of Russia in Ukraine, um, these groups will exist. Yes, as you mentioned, uh, Taiwanese uh, defense uh, contact group, um, maybe, 
Um, but uh, will such groups be alternative to NATO completely adopted? Um, because, for instance, NATO still has broader agenda, let's say so, uh, than uh, such uh, contact groups. And um, again, I don't think that uh, for countries with very small number of population, such groups can be created. So again, like if such groups are created, they need to understand their benefits, unfortunately, of creation of such group. It sounds cynical, but I, I, I don't want to be super positive and like have this fake uh, uh, image of this group. Ukraine has its resources. Ukraine can contribute uh, and already is contributing to uh, um, uh, global food security situation. Uh, like uh, geopolitically, we are in a very important uh, location. I'm not sure that, again, like with Taiwan, Taiwan is a super important country um, from the points of uh, trade, from the points of uh, security of uh, Indo-Pacific region. So, yeah, like for Taiwan, I can imagine that such a group can be created. Regarding Georgia, I have doubts because population is uh, not very big. Uh, the uh, amount of captured territories and attitude of people uh, on uh, these territories a bit different than, for instance, uh, um, the attitudes of people in Crimea. So, like, again, like, maybe it's just a lack of uh, um, information, but I haven't seen a huge promotion of resistance uh, uh, movements in occupied territories uh, uh, of Georgia. So, yeah, I believe that um, maybe for range of countries such initiatives can be created, but either your country is super important and very big, so other countries can really join um, their efforts in supporting you, or um, you need to find allies in your hardships so such um, groups can be created. And again, like, will such groups be uh, alternative to the UN? I also adopt it because UN deals with wider spectrum of questions. And uh, yes, like when it comes to the existential crisis, we really rely on weapons. But if it was um, another type of threat, probably um, UN would be more helpful for us. But uh, yeah, as of now, if we take only example of Ukraine, uh, such contact groups is super helpful. Um, will we see more of uh, such contact groups? I believe yes, but uh, for very limited uh, number of countries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I actually do agree with a lot of your uh, points as well. Um, and I think I was also uh, thinking more of it in a sort of um, 
an elusive sense, sort of, um, because as you were also alluding to, uh, talking about the fact that um, people wouldn't be able to see the benefits of such groups. Um, so, so for me, it's it's more of um, thinking in which I don't necessarily um, want to have a specific. Georgian defense contact group and Belarusian defense contact group or Taiwanese defense contact group, but what I, what I'm thinking about is a prolongment of what the Ukrainian defense contact group have created, which will then last and then be transformed into a sort of um, alliance in which countries such as. Russia or China would know that if they then were to commit similar acts uh, as the one that Russia has uh, committed in Ukraine, then such groups would come into effect and start doing immediately what has been done for Ukraine uh, for some of the other countries. Um, but but as you're saying, it, it is a thing that w- where the benefits sort of maybe first um, appear after the um, like the act has been um, committed, which was also the case in Ukraine, for example. There weren't a UDCG before the large-scale invasion. That was only something that was created um, after that. And yeah, but, but I just think it does still serve as a good example of what can be done by the international um, alliance of nations that support freedom um, and yeah, and so on. Um, and maybe it can stand as an example. Do you think the problem is like, um, and we have gone a bit over time now, so you, if if you uh, have a, like a deadline or any point, you should just say so. But I think there's just so many interesting things um, that we can broaden this to. But... Do you think it is this historically uh, this historical problem, wherein the aggressor like has to commit have to commit something, like the aggressor Russia ha- has committed in Ukraine, before the free world, so to say, is able to acknowledge what has happened and then react? Do you think that's the problem and will also be the problem in the future, um, even um, after a Ukrainian victory, for example? Mm, honestly, it's very hard to answer. It's a very big question. question as well, yeah. And also, like, I felt that after the Second World War, there will be no huge armed conflicts. Um, but then, like, 21st century decided <laughs> to uh, turn tables. So, um, like, will Ukrainian victory prevent us from having wars in the future? I don't think so, unfortunately. Um, what I see from this uh, current war that uh, now aggressors understand that uh, war should be hybrid. 
It's like you need to prepare a population of countries that you want to invade beforehand. So like with fake news, with some uh, uh, propaganda, with, uh, um, I don't know, like uh, enrolling more uh, collaborants. So maybe like this change to um, the arts of war, let's say so, that's what we will see as consequence of uh, this full-scale invasion. Uh, and also, uh, I, I believe that like what we had as a Cold War in the 20th century, we will face more si like similar situations in future. That's uh, Elise, uh, and um, <clears throat> there will be a literal division. Uh, sorry, literal division and um, difference in values, uh, different in values, um, different um, in approaches uh, to uh, politics because. Even right now, we see that um, not all countries still believe that uh, liberal democracy is the best uh, uh, way of political system for their countries. So a lot of countries start uh, switching to more authoritarian uh, path. And um, unfortunately, with uh, this race of authoritarian regimes, uh, we can't guarantee that... Uh, um, future will be peaceful for all parts of uh, the world. So I, I hope that there will be lessons that uh, uh, people will learn after this full-scale invasion, but will they prevent us from um, making more mistakes in the future? I don't think so, unfortunately. I 100% agree that um, like Eternal peace is um, is something that will never be achieved, or it is at least something that one should never perceive will be uh, eternally achieved. Because the problem with thinking like that is that you um, unintentionally, unintentionally, um, like sort of gives free reign to countries like Russia and China um, and. It, it, it is sort of um, like it's not that we have thought ever since um, the dissolution of the USSR that there would then never be more wars but I think what we maybe have um, convinced ourselves us is the, um, the illusion that Russia and China would never pose a threat again and that these countries would also embark on a democratic uh, path towards being like lovers of peace and so on. Um, that is sort of um, what made us a bit naive, not just a bit, what made us very naive, um, and which has also contributed to the situation we're seeing today with the war in Ukraine and with the immense threat of uh, yeah, a full-scale Chinese inv uh, invasion of Taiwan as well at some point in the future. Um, so... So while I, I don't want to say that eternal peace is completely 
impossible to reach. I just don't think that believing we have eternal peace is um is a a good imperative for how you then act. Uh, I guess you can say. Uh, here I am, as we are heading towards the end. I wrote that if you had something that, uh, like, particular you wanted to share or bring uh, to the table today, um, we could put it in here. Have you thought about anything? Uh, yes, yeah, sure. I just wanted to bring an uh, example of uh, um, China and uh, the new vision of world map, according to China. Uh, in the beginning of September, uh, China issued new maps where they like captured a lot of uh, territories from Russia, from uh, India, uh, from other neighboring countries, even like uh, the sea um, was divided not according to international uh, law. And um, uh, all countries that uh, were impacted by these new maps, they um, like sent some notes of protests uh, to Chinese embassies uh, and uh, they had these conversations with the uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs of China, except for Russia. Russia really accepted these new maps uh, of uh, uh, China. They were okay, even uh, with the fact that parts of Russian territories uh, were depicted as Chinese territories. And for me, um, like I, I'm really glad that countries that were affected, they demonstrated that they are uh, not agreeing with these new maps. But at the same time, for me, it's a bit scary that uh, there is country that had enough courage, let's say so, quote-unquote, uh, to issue new maps according to their understanding. And if they include these new maps in their uh, like school curriculum and they will raise um, a generation of people who believe in these uh, new uh, borders and when they face reality, they will believe more their like school knowledge and they will have this uh, revenge um, uh, feeling inside and it will push them to join army and retake these territories because they learned that they are Chinese territories. And unfortunately, this example of China gives pre precedent to Russia to issue new maps and raise new generation of children who will believe that Ukraine, Belarus, uh, Georgia, uh, Transnistria, they are integral parts of Russia. That's why we need to go back to these uh, uh, lands and convince that they are uh, members of like great Russian uh, society. So yeah, that's what really scares me. But I believe that with some proper international response, we can tackle it. And can you maybe just... Um, also um, elaborate a bit uh, upon what you are thinking um, like briefly or as, or as long as possible about the relationship between Russia and China because although I think it in its core it's a very fragile relationship that can easily break as soon as their, their interests 
conflicts with one another, as we have also seen in the past. It just right now seems as if this relationship is actually, and I don't like to say it, but it seems as if this relationship is growing by the day and that it is growing by the month and that it just gets stronger and stronger. And I am actually a bit worried that what could happen in the future with regards to Taiwan is that China will say that in the event of a Chinese invasion of Taiwan, if other countries try to um, step in on behalf of Taiwan, then Russia would actually be a guarantor of providing uh, China with nuclear assistance. Like, um, I, I know it's... um. It maybe it's it is a bit um, too far out, like to 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 think of. But I really believe that this relationship um, are heading towards a point where a situation could occur where Russia would say that they would um, provide um, nuclear support to China um, if other countries were to interfere with something China did um, to yeah as. Uh, in favor of Chinese interests, it could be invading some of the territories that you're talking about there. So, like, what well, what is your uh, sense of just the yeah, the Chinese Russian relationship and how uh, like how scared should we be? I do agree that uh, whatever uh, China will demand uh, from Russia, Russia will give it. Uh, but at the same time, like from Russian perspective. They don't have any allies. They are like alone in this uh, struggle for a better future of Russia and etc. So it's a bit, it's a bit strange uh, formulation of their relations, because Russia is really dependent on Chinese aid, but they don't recognize them as. Uh, how to say like um, equal partner on international like diplomatic stage so yeah it, it, it's it will be very interesting how these uh, um, relations will be developing because uh, both Russia and China are interested in uh, exploring new um, logistical ways like through uh, um, Antarctica and also um, like these uh, um, uh, northern parts of uh, uh, Pacific Ocean. So I believe that uh, um, these kinds of partnership will be uh, developed more. And of course, uh, this uh, Belt and Road Initiative um, that uh, China is actively promoting uh, Russia can support uh, it as well, but exchange of uh, nuclear powers or like uh, Russia is completely given up parts, even parts of its nuclear arsenal to China. Um, for me, it it's a bit un unlike to happen because like yeah like you can tell me that but 
um, you see that uh, uh, there are already Russian nuclear weapons in Belarus. But the thing is that Russia sees Belarus as just parts of Russia. So, like, technically, they believe that nuclear weapons are still on the territory of Russia. With China, uh, it doesn't seem that uh, um, Russia sees any territory of China as Russian territory. So, maybe, like, the maximum that they can uh, do is to place their uh, nuclear weapons closer to the border with uh, uh, China, but it doesn't mean that uh, China will be able to use it just when they want. But again, uh, I don't uh, trust Russian uh, infrastructure and uh, their logistics. Um, And it it will take a lot of resources and I, I don't see that right now um, Russia is uh, ready to um, make this plan uh, into real life and uh, China is still like, weighing their um, capacity to invade Taiwan. I, I also think that um, in the end it would be unlikely uh, for Russia to say such a thing but I just think that um, the chances are there and that um, we have to be aware of the fact that Russia and China can actually complement each other to um, a pretty terrific, it's like terri- to a terrifying degree, according to me, uh, when it comes to all these um, questions of what is to happen in the world, like in the, in the international system. And that's just something we really, really need to be aware of. I think overall, my take on the whole China-Russia thing is that these two countries they they don't have similar interests. Like they their interests, they do not um, fluctuate with each other when it really comes down to it because of the nature of these two regimes so i think that russia and china will always um inevitably end up in some sort of uh conflict with each other over i don't know influence in the central asian countries there could be old border issues you also said that china even draw uh, maps where parts of russia even was a part of china like maybe russian russia can uh shove that aside for now but that's not something that Russia can shove aside forever so so there is just still because of the nature of these two regimes so many things that could go wrong in their relationship that I think that yes they have the West as an um, unifying um, enemy picture but once it becomes clear that maybe the West isn't the big enemy um, like the West isn't really doing anything to hurt these countries um, the West is just standing in the way the West, the free world, whatever you want to call it um, it's just standing in the way of some of the ambitions that China and Russia have um, like when, when that becomes clear they will also um, end up in conflict with each other I, I think so and 
And that just um, comes down to the nature of autocratic and um, imperial regimes. So I'm not sure if that's an encouraging thought, but I think it's um, a revealing uh, thing about these two countries. But now let's um, yeah sort of go to the last point, which is um, the value point. And I've I think that I've done this um, like a part of my conversations almost every time, and I'm not still exactly sure what what it is. Um, but at least it it is trying to depict the value that has been standing out during the conversation. And then to talk about something as if it is a value. And I think for me, I want to go back to some of the things we were talking about in the beginning, about what you can do to help Ukraine as an individual. And I think that this time it will be to um, like most people like me, which are foreigners doing what we can to help Ukraine. Um, and the message will be that Although it can always be frustrating um, not to see others doing as much as you would like them to do, and it can also be like frustrating to see, for example, other people who are politically active spending all their time on things that are not Ukraine, um, where I would maybe think, but do you actually uh, know that if you spend no, or like like this. Do you actually know that what you are caring about is something that will also be way more um, approachable if we got a Ukrainian victory and so on? But it doesn't help to to blame people. What really helps in the end is to increase your own effort to be more um, to be better at um, like to be better at making people uh, think that, that the stuff that you're doing to promote Ukraine is uh, worth watching or is um, interesting enough to spend your time on it. And I actually think that a good example of this is this show that I'm going to tomorrow in Denmark, which is a dance, ex like it's a dance performance where Ukrainian women are through dance expressing um, or trying to express the emotions that Ukrainian women are going through during this war. And that is just um, something that is not normally political, but because it is Ukraine and because it is as a part of all this war, it is very much political. And that's just a good example uh, to me of something that is a bit alternative, but still serves a very strong political purpose here and it is something that people are doing to um, promote the Ukrainian cause and um, the story of Ukrainian women and um, yeah that, that's just my uh, message value that you should always start with yourself and then um, see how the change that you do uh, to your own um, effort how, how that will actually also work positively in the end so yeah I think that's um, sort of what I will go out on do you have anything you want to talk about out here like promote as value or something like that here in the end uh so as a um, former student of um faculty of orientalism i will bring the example of karma 
So please support Ukraine and uh, take care of your karma <laughs> because it will pay out uh, 100%. And uh, again, like if you feel that uh, you're a bit tired of political activism, try to switch to some environmental activism or uh, cultural diplomacy. Uh, just again, try to find new angles of uh, this topic uh, that really speaks to you or can entertain you. And uh, that's how um, you will show solidarity uh, to uh, towards Ukrainians. Even when you try Ukrainian food, it's already like a very little step. But uh, again, it's a uh, recognition of uh, Ukrainian uh, culture. So yeah, just uh, take care of yourself, and uh, that's how you will get resources to support. Uh, people in need and um, again like uh, if you feel that uh, like you can't spend all of your time supporting Ukraine just look around and see uh, other um, causes like you can support Iranian women you can uh, think about uh, um, uh, like Hong Kongers in exiles or a struggle of Taiwanese people uh, in fight of uh, their independence and then just get back to uh, uh, the uh, war in Ukraine so like once you start developing this empathy towards uh, people you will just uh, be unstoppable so yeah again just understand yourself Try to find what really uh, sparks your interest and then try to uh, see a global picture and uh, as many opportunities as you can help. You're muted. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, that would be the last words of uh, the conversation, which were more than um, half as short as the first infamous conversation we did, which were almost four hours. And actually, a lot of people have been uh, say, talking to me specifically about that conversation. So some people have said, like, are all your conversations four hours? But but they are not. <laughs> and this time we did it, uh, like, a lot shorter. So uh, I hope people will um, be glad about that. So that's it. And thanks a lot, Jane, once again for participating. I'm very uh, grateful for that. And I will, of course, always, um, yeah be interested in also talking um, at some point in the future um, hopefully it will be after Ukrainian victory but I think uh, and I think you think as well that this war will probably go on um, for a pretty uh, long time still and um, then maybe it will be when the war is still going on but that's it for this conversation so hey thank you so much for having me 2014. What's interesting about 2014, the Sochi Olympics were also occurring at that time. And if you look at Vladimir Putin's lie on global news about the history of Russia and the Soviet Union, he invaded Ukraine that same week. <laughs>